Talented on the old um, this is, mixing this, desk. This was my life. Is it? This was my life. For I bet it was years. a wee bit bigger than that. Is it, it was a wee bit bigger. Is it better? Is it a better life than working the, on the website? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a different life. It's a different <laughs> life. It's a different yeah. life. And he is still kind of a lighting director because he changes the colours of the lights in his own house. Oh, oh, Sam loves that when he comes home. Just when he's steaming. Yeah. Sends out a warning shot to let her know that he's off the train. Nearly home, princess. The shark's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to talk about the shark. <laughs> I said, Stuart's got a new name. The shark. Interestingly, how did he get that name, Julie? I think he gave it to himself. What a prick. <laughs> the shark. It's he's like a poor man's prof G. Yeah, he's a shit prof G. <laughs> the dog. There we are. That's you down to size. Shark. More like the fucking tadpole. Come on. <laughs> we maybe a wee dolphin. Professor Tad. Well, that's a way to start, isn't it? You know, it, was, it was just... Keep was, that in. Was, <laughs> oh, that's not going anywhere. You can't recreate that. Magic. <laughs> that. Well, it, but it, uh, I don't even know. If Just I'm play start. the fucking music. <laughs> Welcome to the Good Roundup. Uh, good as a brand consultancy in the UK. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm a wee bit shaken up after the abuse. I just got a bit called the shark, which I never called myself the shark. I was just saying totally I was like a shark. Yes, you did. I was saying I was like a shark. You yes, said, I've always got to move yes, forward. I'm a fucking shark. <laughs> and they're quite like being called shark. Anyway, imagine giving yourself a nickname. <laughs> anyway, good, anyway. Good as brand consultancy in the UK. I'm here with Chris Lumsden. Not the shark. Hello. And Julie Murdo. Also not a shark. Hello. <laughs> and that, my name is Stuart Steele and I am the shark. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, you know, That's um, been quite sweary already and we're not even in the pod yet. Well, you know, it's been a while since we've done one of these so we're going to get together. We're, 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 we're all very excited. There's a lot of excitement mm. in there. Uh, and today's topic, today's mm. topic is one that is very close to Mr. Lumsden's heart. Arguably his favourite topic of all. Because you do love it. We're going to be talking about brand architecture. Oof. Now, and it is your favourite, isn't it, Chris? It, it's the one I enjoy the most out of, the, out of our services, our offerings, the work we do in this space. And I've written quite a lot of stuff on it. I'm no expert, but I've learned a bit. And uh, I, I would, do like it. I, I would say it. you are an expert, Chris, hence why we're deciding to do a podcast <laughs> about it. I'm, <laughs> I'm amazed at how, how um, little understood it is as a thing. Mm-hmm. So, which is a good point. So mm. before we kind of get into how little understood it is, let's have a chat. Can you just describe to us exactly what you see brand architecture as? Oh, new. Um, well, so it's, I suppose it can be many different things, but really it's just about the system that's deployed to help companies organize brands and subsections of brands and how they relate to each other and the wider organization, I think. And can you give an example of these structures? And and I suppose, well, there are three very well-publicized, talked-about structures, which we come on to, but it's also just, you know, the the other aspect that's little understood, I think, or what plays into that is the role that products and services have 
and how they're named and how they plug into the overall brand is crucial. It's not just about structures and logos. Right. I think it's really important to say it's much deeper than that. And the effects of it are felt much further down the organization. But in terms of structures, you know, there, there are classically, you know, you get the branded house where everything is kind of pivots off the main brand. So an example of that would be Virgin. FedEx. Uh, FedEx is always a good one. Well, FedEx, yeah, FedEx or, or, or classically BMW or something like All that. Right, you okay. know, it's just very clean and, and, and um, everything's a BMW and then the products are numbers and letters. Right. You know, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's very clean. And I, I, I've written a couple of pieces about how in B2B that's kind of where the action is because mm-hmm. it's, well, ultimately it's, it's cheaper. And then you get the, the house of brands, which is the complete opposite of that. So that's like a, a Diageo or a, you know, a Unilever where they're effectively a holding company and then all the brands have their own look and feel and names. and independent of one another. Yeah, independent. And then thirdly, there's a thing called the endorsed brand, which is, I would say it's probably a bit more like Virgin or or, or the BBC or something like that, but they've all got a little, they all link to the the main brand graphically and and, and, and names, but they've all got a sense of their own unique characteristics as well. Mm. So, and then then there are blended versions of all of that stuff. And there are, and you know, the way that you organize your business and, and, and the architecture structure you deploy are, there's no right or wrong answers. And that's the bit I like about this. So that, you know, in B2B, as I say, I think, you know, the, the sort of branded house approach is often the chosen one and often is the one that we are brought into to kind of repatriate everything back up to the, the main brand. So at the moment, what we're finding is we've got a couple of calls from a couple of clients because they're reviewing their portfolios and kind mm. of and during this time of pause, just reevaluating. Yeah, that. taking an opportunity or using mm. it as an opportunity to take a bit of a step back and look at some of those portfolio issues and structures. And so, a couple of examples of that would be, for example, a company who had previously bought over a company and then kind of going right. Actually, we've got two brands here. Does this make sense? Is that the yeah, is that I, the trigger I, for this? Jules, I'm going. You can talk in a minute, but this final bit, bit for mm-hmm. me on this is mm-hmm. I'm I'm amazed at the lack of awareness and understanding of the impact of this stuff that organisations have. I think that you know they'll spend hundreds of millions, billions, even of dollars buying organisations, but then with scant really regard of how they're going to integrate those brands and what role one brand is going to play over the other, what structure they're going to adopt. And most importantly, how they're going to integrate product portfolios and naming structures, which is where you get paralysis. And I, I, I think that it's, I, I find it really interesting because it's all of these challenges are hidden, that they're not immediately evident in a P&L. Or, and so these companies can exist in a sort of semi-paralyzed state for a number of years and, and not really be able to identify what the issues are. But they, but they bleed, they just bleed money, they bleed value. And that's what I find really interesting. I think one of the things that we also see or have seen in the past is that quite often like decisions will be made in silos. So there will be, you know, there's a kind of, it's a bit of a false economy because a business will try and tackle something that's perceived to be a a bit of a small problem first, but then kind of put to the side issues and inconsistencies that are going to essentially cause more problems further down the track. And I think you do get, and we work with a lot of businesses, and like you say, there isn't really a right or wrong answer when it comes to architecture and the right structure for a business to adopt. It's simplicity will generally win out should win out every time but it's rarely 
it's rarely a perfect solution, but where you we've again where we've worked with businesses where they kind of have this sort of hybrid solution, it's kind of in at the outset it's it can seem like the simplest way of tackling the architecture problem but it becomes really confusing to navigate um and complex to manage in the longer run as well mm. both from a like you say from an efficiency point of view but more importantly for how you're from a customer facing perspective mm. and and but not only customer facing and we one of the f- sort of i don't know if it was the first but certainly one of the big the, ones yeah. the first big ones that we worked on it became abundantly clear that there was a real deep-rooted issue when even their sales team couldn't navigate their own product mm-hmm. um, the portfolio. That's a sign, isn't it? It's a pretty clear indication <laughs> that you've got some issues to tackle. But, and it's a fascinating blend of kind of commercial acumen, emotional attachment to to, mm. to, to products and services or brands, and and a, and a creative challenge as well. There's a, there's a, a sort of creative angle or how you logistically organize all these graphic things how they come together and it, and it to me it lives at the heart of the business but can we talk about devro as a good example well they, they that was an organization that had been grown, a quick, through, acquisition, grown, grown through acquisition and duplicated businesses that did the same thing duplicated you know organizations and they hadn't they hadn't consolidated the product the the product portfolio so and they I, had products they had products that were the same that existed in different regions that were called different things and treated as brands, manufactured separately. So in terms of business efficiencies, part of the issue there was that there was, you know, within each of the regions, there was that emotional attachment and probably an overinflated sense of equity that lived within those brands as they were, they were treating them as brands, but essentially they were products. And, Mm. you know, there was a lot of strip it all back and sort of build it from the bottom up again as well. as It's that old phrase, Hard pruning leads to strong growth, I think. Oh, very good. That's good. Yeah, but that. it, TM. TM, that. The shark. I'm going to get a name. TM, the um, shark. We've got lots of names for you, don't you? But <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes, yes, you do. Uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, that that business had, you know, we, we the, you know, the guy that was running the organization knew that there was a challenge. And I think it's the, the extent to which they're prepared to grasp that nettle and have the difficult Conversation. conversations, and, and because that's the, that is the challenge, and it's easy for us to sit here and say it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, once you're in that organisation and inside the jar, I, I totally accept it. It's really hard. But I think because that's and this this kind of links to one of the conversations we were having the other week about brand leadership and strong brand leadership needing to come and be driven from the top down. And I think the same applies here. There's no real understanding of what the end goal is. You know, where it's a much easier to map out the journey if you know the destination. Figure out your end goal and then develop a strategy that supports that. It doesn't all need to happen overnight. It doesn't need to happen straight away. But you end up, and unless, but unless that comes from the top and there's a full alignment, you know, there's alignment across the business in terms of what the goal is, then it's always going to be difficult to navigate and to implement change because there will undoubtedly be differing opinions across the business and no one's ever going to be entirely happy. So say you're a business at the moment, let's yep. just throw some assumptions out there and you've looked at your portfolio folio, portfolio of products and companies that you may have bought and products that you have and you're going to go through this hard pruning. What are the kind of key things that you would suggest, Chris and Julie, that you've got to kind of look out for and make sure that you're doing to tick the right box to make sure you're, this is going to be what a successful our, yeah, exercise. What are kind of watches? Okay, well, we've got a list. Oh, I love a list. a list. Fire away. Okay, number one is about, sounds self-evident, but stakeholder consultation mm. right. is kind of what we just underpins all of this. 
Yeah. So I'm saying it's just professional courtesy to uh, talk to people in the organization about how they feel about this stuff. And feeling is really important because it's people feel really defensive about their brands. So engaging them in some of the difficult areas, talking to them about the scenario, being, uh, being diplomatic, but being that third party with bringing objectivity. objectivity. Mm. And help, helping to sort of contextualize the whole issue is, is really important. So if people feel if they're, as they're, if they're involved in the, in the process, it makes the decisions and, and the downsizing of, of brands, if you like, for, as an expression, easier. Again, back to Devro, that's what happened there. You know, the fact that we were talking to people in different parts of the organization and different businesses within the organization, they, they understood the issues and made, it made it easier for them to accept, I think, in the long run. Mm. So at the beginning, at the beginning of Devro, just for clarity, what would you, and it would, as a structure, what was that? Was that a house of brands, Devro? It, w- it didn't have a name. It was a mess. Right, okay. <laughs> So it wasn't what we would put in the hybrid bucket. Right, okay. <laughs> hybrid away. Yeah. So when you it had can, just happened to them, that's what happens. These things just happen to organizations. Right. Suddenly they realize I'm paralyzed. I don't what what is it creeps up in them incrementally even, yeah, and slowly. And even the master brand in that case wasn't clear because they had different identities for different parts of the business that right. you know, and it was just it was quite it was quite confused. So they were mm-hmm. I, and this is what I find amazing because uh, the value that they're losing as an organization because you know the thing is if as i, I wrote the, more, the most recent article on on the blog is if a machine was broken and was down to 50 percent capacity a man would turn up with a spanner and fix it pretty quickly because yep. it's bleeding value yep. yep this is the same thing it's just hidden it's abstract it's it's and it's challenging. It's difficult, but there are people who can help you fix these problems and you know resolve them. So that state, that first stage of the stakeholder kind of consultation, that's almost a diplomatic mission. Yeah. And what are you trying to get out at the end of that? What are you? So the output of that stage is what? It's you, you. What I guess what you are doing is you are taking the temperature of feeling of emotion, but also uh, the value, the commercial value of of some of the. Um, the brands in the portfolio in the portfolio and how it all works. So there's all sorts of regional differences. You have to be aware that these things can't be tinkered with to to too great an extent just on a regional level. There's always a global impact. It's understanding how that business works as well. So it's it's information gathering. I think is one one of the notes I'd hear and just in terms of some of the common issues you, we see and again this is probably particularly prevalent in the B2B space but where product led businesses you end up with products that are treated as brands because marketing teams within the organization want to create these proprietary and this is kind of to Chris's point about the naming conventions and naming protocols and, and product structures that are really important as part of this because otherwise you end up with marketing teams potentially giving products proprietary names that then end up having us, you know, developing an identity because it feels like maybe the biggest innovation the brand will be launching that year, but it becomes treated, ends up getting treated as a sub brand rather than just a product that lives within a an organized portfolio, and it's, it just kind of happens by by accident. Yeah, almost which is kind occasion. of leading on to point two. Which Chris, is- Chris. Um, who's who's driving this? Shark? Sorry, Sharky boy. Yeah. Sorry, who's driving this? Shark? So, Chris, thank you for that. If you were, what, what would be the second point Jules. on your list? Well, just introduced point. it. Let me, let me tell you about the second point, which is about simplicity. And this, like we said at the start, there's rarely a perfect solution, but there are so many things at play, and like you say, things that will have decisions that have been made along the road for the right reason at the time. But you, these 
challenges are messy. And I think particularly when it comes to talking about merging portfolios and killing off brands and maybe, you know, streamlining product portfolios, that those are difficult discuss- difficult decisions. And I think, you know, to, to mm. Chris's point about the first point around stakeholder consultation being key to make sure everyone's on board with the decisions that are being made. But again, what we often see is that some of those decisions around which brands survive and which don't, which products survive and which don't, are made for with a, a we call it a kind of inside out bias where it might seem might be the right decision for the business or it might seem like the right decision for the business at the time but is it something that's making sense does is it going to make sense for your customer so it, there are kind of lots of political things at play there as well and I think and this is you know what we we're saying earlier about if you understand what the end goal is and understand what your strategy is to get there then those decisions that you need to make along the way will be much clearer and much more straightforward and the start of the, I mean we have to start from the premise that there will be too many products there are always too many products we've never gone into a scenario going do you know what you need a new product this is yeah otherwise i guess we wouldn't get hired but there are there are always too many products because it's actually a fun process as you'll describe to to create things and name things it's quite good fun and doing it for the wrong reasons and it can become habit and it gets out of control quickly and it leads to complexity confusion and 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 a, 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 a loss of value and that's where we were talking last week Stuart about your steve jobs example when he came back and again i reference it in that piece about he came back to Apple, didn't he, and, and realized there were far too many products. And, and you know, he, he had a, a realization when someone asked him what product he should recommend to a friend and he, he didn't, he couldn't work it out. It was too complex. And the, the long and the short of it is he, he rationalized their portfolio by about 70%. And that, when he first came back, they were losing money. Then the end of the next year, they posted about $300 million profit. And I think the so, other interesting thing is what, what he did when he was cut products that were already in existence was mm. he was he didn't really make a lot of layoffs. Mm. He actually diverted that resource to new product ranges like the iPhone and the iPod. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of rationalization and but direction clear, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Clear there was thing, thinking. Yeah. And, you know, there are loads of examples of, 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 of businesses beginning to grow and once they've rationalized some of their portfolio. I think it's the Jill said, you know, it's the complexity tax that consumers have to pay. They just more choice, go buy yeah, somewhere more else. Choice isn't always necessarily. <laughs> I mean, they'll go buy somewhere else. So just make it simpler is always better. And that number three, who's, who's going to take number three on the list? Well, I mean, we just talked about Steve Jobs, but and I, 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 a better exponent of the art of uh, uh, clarity of vision, you couldn't you couldn't really get, but unless there is a, a clear vision and direction coming from the top of the organization that they want to uh, grasp this, I think that the projects will struggle and the tail can begin to wag the dog. So because the people who are in these organizations are wedded to the brands, always find an emotional reason to not to kill it. And that that strength and the signal that comes from the top has to be clear that we're, we're, we're on board, we're doing this to get to that point. So I think Unless there is that strength of leadership, you get very influential stakeholders in different regions globally who will try and manipulate the process so that their products and brands stay. We've seen this happen to our huge frustration. And so agendas are are met and products are kept and it compromises the project. And and in our view, the, the, the kind of master brand strategy, it's it's a challenge. So I think clarity from the top is really important. Which, next, what, what do you say? The next yeah, one is Yeah, I think Julie. it's just an extension of that point, or why why the next point is important, which is around objectivity and the fact that you know hiring experts to manage this for you and work through the process with you is is key because you you know it's the old you know 
surgeon doesn't perform surgery on himself. You know, it's a, it's there are so many things at play from internal politics to power struggles, all the stuff that Chris just touched on that we're age, businesses like us are are have more experience in this space in terms of engineering brand change within an organization. So it's much harder to disagree with some recommendations which will be founded on, you know, knowledge and insight as opposed to opinion and that kind of objective objective having an objective partner in that will undoubtedly make the process much more straightforward not easy but straightforward a bit more mm. straightforward. because you cannot participate in the process and facilitate the process somebody, within an internal organization who was it that said that the shark <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. good never forget and that, i think that Again, that's underrated by clients, I think, that objectivity. I think sometimes they think they can force this stuff through, but they don't necessarily have the the necessary kind of maybe expertise, experience, and maybe credibility in the eyes of some of their colleagues and regions to, to force the stuff through. And so it can get undermined quite quickly. So sometimes we say to them, our clients, let us deal with these meetings because... Yeah, I mean, I've not done... But you can see that even... It, meetings that I've been at with the marketing managers got everybody in to kind of talk about the plan for the next year and then they start to facilitate that meeting and somebody will come up with an idea and the marketing manager just go no we can't do that and you're going well what's the point of the meeting and why, why you know so to actually have somebody independent to kind of stand up there and ask open stupid naive sometimes objectionable questions is probably the right place to go so that everybody mm. feels part of the process it ties nicely back into your stakeholder consultation at the top point. Mm. Mm. But once you kind of got that and you've kind of delivered some findings, mm. there's another point, point five. So this is about the fact that you have to go into these processes and understand that change is going to be inevitable, but it is manageable. And again, back to some of the emotional uh, views around brands and organizations, every one of these projects we've done, we hear the same thing, which is we can't change I understand what you're saying. Our business is different. We can't change these brands or products because our consumers are so used to them. It would be detrimental to the business to do so. And at which point, yeah, you have to be nice (laughs) and be diplomatic. diplomatic. But also point out the fact that consumers of any type and any shape or form are able to deal with change and manage. It's up to the organization to to deal with the change program, not just flick a switch one day. Uh, and the products that was previously called X is now called Y. It's a it's a program of change. So, of course, people can deal with change. It's about being prepared to accept it and then managing that process. So, it's a very common uh, phrase we hear. We 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 can't do that. We're different. And I mean, we've seen it. In fact, you you you've been involved in it. <laughs> Even when there is sort of empirical evidence to to demonstrate the fact that consumers aren't that aware. You know, and or num- bothered, or bothered, um, they refuse to kind of accept it. Which plays back to the objectivity point as well that you need someone objective to point out these issues. But they're very tightly held. These emotional and things. a lot of those things are down to that's my bonus on the line. Because if there's going to be change, it's you're hoping that the marketing department or whatever department that is going to be doing that education process with the customer is going to do a good job. And if you're, it's easy just to sell the old thing again. Without having to explain it, you know, mm-hmm. there will be friction in that, and it's but it's manageable. And there's people there just scared of losing their bonus. And that's why I think, again, as a as a as an approach, it needs to be 
tackled across the business. It can't just live within, then this is something we've talked about in the past as well, about things just living within the marketing function. You know, how mm-hmm. will the sales team, like you say, have facilitate those conversations with, com- with consumers? How will the product um, development team tackle next phase of whatever? You know, it's kind of, it can't just be an exercise that's performed by the marketing team. And I think Devro was a good example there as well, because I think they had a program of changed and managed it really well with not only with customers, but with their individual regions. So their corporate marketing team spent, they were operating in six regions at the time and spent time with each of those individual marketing functions because they had regional marketing managers to talk through the process. Once we, one, you know, once the new structure was, basically once a new brand was ready to, to go live and got everyone on board and spent mm. time with the regional teams and and also allowed for a period of feedback and evaluation. So when it came to specific challenges that may exist within some of the regions, some of that's identified obviously up front in the stakeholder consultation process, but some of the more practical stuff comes out further down the line. And, and the fact that they made that, um, were able to manage that post-launch as well as in the run-up to, I yeah. think made it a much more... Um, and it wasn't, you know, again, that it's it's not an overnight thing. You know, these processes of, you know, implementing change, that was probably a 12 to 18th month process for, for Devro by mm. the time everything changed uh, You're over. so right. A str- I mean, a strategy for change is one thing, but it's nothing without implementation. And doing it well, the, if it's done well, like you say, the, the main brand can gain a, a real halo effect, a benefit of it, uh, from it too. But once you actually deliver those recommendations as we say the challenge then is you know you change is inevitable but it's manageable but then what sometimes you get is the reality of the politics and then you get you get a half shot knife yeah you get a half shot (laughs) knife so this is the next one you know at all costs avoid a partial political you change you know paralysis it's worse than doing nothing yeah and again it picks up on a couple of the points we made before about vision and clarity and leadership and and things. But it's there are no perfect examples of this stuff. Work every project's different, and compromises will undoubtedly need to be made. It's how they're done and when that will determine whether the thing is a success or not. But to half do it, or to concede to too many requests from the regions or different brands or products. If if it begins it, qu- quite quickly, it can chip away at the integrity of the whole thing, and then it becomes a question of is it is it actually worth? worth doing are we going to create more confusion? So yeah, it's it's a it's a challenge. And 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 Stuart again, you know, we we we've sat in meetings where the belief is that they're changing a regional offering, and as we said, the world we live in now is global, and and you know, it's particularly in digital. You and I spent mm. a lot of time looking at mapping product portfolios for webs, you know, basically through through the website. Yep. It's forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, and then if if it's not dealt with at that time, then, you know, they'll they'll then try and create a sort of hackneyed solution around the website to deal with the, the inconsistencies. And it just, it's a ripple effect, isn't it? Yeah, and that's it's, a, it's another sharkism is, you know, start, or maybe it's not, maybe it's, 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 you know, start with the asking what's the risk of doing nothing. Mm. You know, if, you, if you're if you going, if the likelihood is you're going to end up with that sort of change paralysis, then, you know, are you better to 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 invest nothing, actually, and stick, what you've got, stick with what you've got, mm. um, which is and, always an option as well. And it's our job to keep the client honest in that space and recognise when that's beginning to happen and, and, and help push back. And sometimes it can be quite difficult uh, about that, but it's our job to do that. And I'd just like to say I like the use of the word sharkism. 
Thanks, it, it actually wasn't a shark-ism, it was actually mine. It was a lumsdenism. It is totally a lumsdenism. I'm, I'm still getting a name. Uh, it's a lumsdenism, so we're there. So the, the next thing, uh, and the kind of last big point on this, really, which is the, the one you've maybe got to understand at the beginning, but I think it's right that we've left it at the end, is, is arguably the most important. Is that there will be pain, undoubtedly. <laughs> There would be pain, even when you have done all of these things that we've just advised and are aware of all the issues that exist within the business, even the best projects will, will not be without their challenges. But I think it's it's acknowledging that and choosing to lean into it and have all the difficult conversations and appreciate that that hard pruning, as Chris calls it, is, is, will, will likely lead to strong growth, but it, doesn't, it won't come without difficult decisions being made and challenges you know, along the way. And it's the clients that recognize that at the beginning of the process. I think a lot of them, some at the beginning will, will, will agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But actually without having maybe experienced or recognized just how hard it's going to be, it's the ones that do that have perhaps done it before. Cause we're talking about in your average sort of marketer's life. I don't think this happens that often. It might happen maybe once or twice in their career. I don't know. I'm guessing. But for us, I mean, we're doing it all the time. So we, we kind of know where the pitfalls are. And, you know, the ones that have done it before, I've, I've, I've still got the scars, you know, and they recognize the issues. So it's about that sense of, are you going to lean into this? Because it's going to be better for you in the long term. And when you're doing your stakeholder consultation, do you mention the fact that the process, the journey that you're on, that people are on is going to be painful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you well, bring that There's one in the books at the moment, isn't there, where it's... They, they simply can't continue down the path they're on with their mixed portfolios and they've added another another client, another organization into the mix. There's significant pain at the end of this journey for them, or not even at the end now. Yeah. And it's whether they're willing to, whether you, how much you do now versus tinkering around the edges. It's back to one of those other points. But it's so important that the, the senior people recognize that, hey, I have to invest significant amount of marketing dollars in this now to cauterize the bleeding, you know, because, you know, the, 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 in the longer term. Or do I just leave it? How, and can we manage, at this point, the risk of doing nothing, can, what mm. will happen if I leave it? It may be that some issues will eventually resolve themselves. Brands die, you know, product ranges are naturally killed. But it feels like it's always better to manage that on the front foot. You can tell it's Chris's favourite subject, can't you? I know, can you? Yes. Loving it. It's an interesting one. It is an interesting mm. one, though, because every project is is different. Because every client's challenges are slightly different, and even you know more often than not, even as you and this is kind of tied to the seven you know, last point as well. Even when you set out knowing what you're trying to achieve, undoubtedly there will be things that grow. That's someone now. Somebody's I'm not letting a brand go. No, that's a protest outside. Um, there will be things that crop up. Things will come up, come along that we didn't actually necessarily even see at the outset, which is you know just adds additional things you don't confusion know to the mix, and you, you never set out in a project like this knowing everything. So it's unknown uh, unknowns. There you go. Don't know what you don't know. What a play, What a way to leave it. Rumsfeldian. That was a beautiful <laughs> way to leave it. Well, thank you for... Did we get Chris's joke? No, we didn't because we decided oh. to swear at me instead. Okay. The, you shark, the, joke. the shark was the, the shark joke. Was the joke. I'm so glad that we're laughing at Stuart today. <laughs> you are an idiot. <laughs> if people could see how you're walking after a weekend of playing cricket, you, awesome. we would, they would be laughing awesome. at you too. Don't mock the afflicted. Don't mock the afflicted. Guys, you two are the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.